All right, welcome to the conversation on TYT Network. Uh, so there's a new documentary out and it is about Russian interference in 2016 elections. Ah! In 2016, our sovereignty was violated by a foreign power which found a way to interfere in our democratic process. We faced an attack of a new kind. The Russians hacked democracy. I've been trying for years to figure out what happened. If the U.S. system depends on trust in democratic institutions, who benefits if Americans lose that trust? Are we doing everything we can to make sure that Americans will decide who is running this country? The 2016 it was a three-ring circus of election meddling. Russian trolls had been busy making mischief on the internet. They were using fake accounts, fake organizations, and finally, fake local media. Russian intelligence hacking the DNC. They were not hacking the Trump campaign. And the alleged collusion. Let's instead use the word seduction. You have Russia saying we want to help you. And you have Don Jr. saying love it. Of course Russians prefer Trump because Trump said that he preferred Russians. Russia was not pro-Trump. They were anti-America. Okay, now that is a topic that has got everybody with very strong opinions, the right, left, in the middle, etc. So uh, someone bothered to look into the facts, but can you trust the guy? Well, it's Alex Skip, the only legendary documentary filmmaker, um, won an Academy Award, multiple Emmys, a Peabody or several Peabodies, and people lose track. I'll give you an incomplete list, Taxi to the Dark Side, Enron, the smartest guys in the room. We steal secrets to the story of WikiLeaks, client number nine, the rise and fall of Elliot Spitzer, going clear, Scientology in the prison of belief, you get it. Uh, Alex uh, has directed now Agents of Chaos, great to have you back on the Young Turks. Hey Jen, good to see you. All right, so um, now these are um, controversial waters, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> I assume that after looking into the facts, you found out that the Russian interference story was a hoax, a witch hunt, is that right? <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I think that obviously th there was a big Russian attack. I think anybody who looks at the facts will see that. And we spent a good bit of time in Russia. We spent a good bit of time in Ukraine. Um, but it was a kind of ingenious attack in the sense that it relied on agents of chaos in this country to uh, proliferate it. So it was, it was, um, uh, it was attack of a different kind. Um, and it reverberated here so well, because it could count on agents of chaos in this country to spread the word. So Alex, um, We'll we'll talk about who exactly those agents are of chaos. But first, let's look big picture here. What was the intention from what you discovered, and you talked to some of the top players here on all sides, including some people on Trump's side. Um, was the intention okay? Donald Trump is controlled by us because we blah blah fill in the blank, and so it is our intention to get him to win, or was there a different intention or both? You know, I think it's not so easy to say that it was just one thing. I think they were throwing stuff against, they were throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what worked. I think what's important to understand is that this really goes back to Ukraine. 
and uh, <laughs> a name that keeps coming up in this story. But I think that that we put into context, it's Putin was very upset in terms of how he felt Americans were interfering in his um, uh, you know, attempts to control what was going on in Ukraine. And also um, the way that um, aspersions were cast on his own legitimacy in terms of coming back to power uh, when the election was clearly rigged. So he had a bee in his bonnet or a real animus toward the United States. And he was developing techniques of um, cyber attacks, cyber, um, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, um, the best word for it, um, way of messing with people and also blurring a sense of the truth. And they practiced these techniques on Ukraine. When it came time for the American election, I think the initial attempts were um, playful, that is to say maliciously playful in terms of trying to undermine American democracy. Over time, I think they began to swing for the fences and, and came to support Trump, even as they understood that Trump was only too happy to get that support, which was I think surprising to them. But nobody right up until the very end, including Putin, including Trump, ever thought that Trump was gonna win. So I think broadly speaking, you have to look at it as an assault on democracy. So if they didn't think Trump was gonna win, um, okay, it's the question I wanna ask is are giant world leaders and the most powerful men on earth really that um, petulant and, and silly? Because it, it almost seems like they're just putting gum in our hair. Um, so like, it, because the only thing that could really happen is theoretically, especially from their point of view, because they didn't think Trump was gonna win, is that it angers us more and it leads us to interfering in the, from their perception in their affairs even more. So was it really just a mess with us? You know, one of the interesting things about this story is part of the motive here didn't have anything to do with us at all. Part of the motive had to do with what Putin's domestic agenda was, which is to show how powerful he was, how he could take on a big power. And also in order to discredit other elections so that um, the the hue and cry over the way that he had rigged his own uh, election in uh, Russia um, would be, um, wouldn't seem like such a big deal. Look, everybody does it. That was, I think, you know, one of the goals here. So you really have to see this in a broader context in terms of what Russia was trying to do here, but also how they were trying to play to their own domestic audience, which is a kind of an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, definitely. And that gets to a more credible motive for doing it. And so let's talk a little bit more about how then, because I'm sure folks that are watching on the right wing, but also some on the left wing are now enormously skeptical of anything that, any sentence that has the word Russia in it. Um, so how do you conclude that they interfered in our elections? And what did, what did that mean? And did it have a large effect or a small effect? It's hard to know precisely what the effect was, but there was an effect. Um, and it's it's also hard to parse exactly how you would disentangle the Russian effect from all the other effects. You know, Comey, Hillary's t lousy campaign, Trump's destabilizing, um, you know, activities. But 
here are the, the, the main vectors of the attack were, were twofold. One was a, a pretty um, intense cyber attack, which uh, resulted in the stealing of the or the hacking of the DNC emails and also the Podesta emails. And it wasn't just a simple phishing attack. They had exfiltration devices, they, they, were, they were burrowing deep inside um, a, a lot of databases. Uh, in the United States, and it was something that goes back to 2014. I mean, the FBI was on to this early on when they were concerned at the behest of Westinghouse on cyber attacks and cyber intrusions into nuclear power plants in Ukraine, which happened to be owned by uh, Westinghouse. So it was a pretty big and formidable cyber series of cyber attacks. Then there were the trolls, and the trolls started off as a very kind of amateurish undertaking. They're being funded and controlled by a man named Putin's chef, or a man whose nickname is Putin's chef, a guy named Yevgeny Prigozhin, who handles a lot of off the books stuff for Putin, both the kind of troll farm sort of thing, which is called the Internet Research Agency, and then much more malicious and dangerous stuff, called, which really amounts to mercenary activity that he does through something called the Wagner Group. And that's where actually troops of his were in Ukraine, for example, in 2014. But in terms of the American attack, it's two things, troll attacks, you know, stealing, you know, creating for fake personas, uh, sort of trying to stir the pot. Now, it's clear that they weren't introducing anything that wasn't already here. But the goal was to ramp up the noise, to create a sense of division and divisiveness by um, getting people really worked up against each other. So much so that they were literally creating demonstrations on both sides and sending people here in America to demonstrations um, through some of their social media meddling. So. And then when you when you look at the impact of the trolling, I think one of the impact was that it caused a lot of people to stay home because they were so pissed off and frustrated. And in some states that may have won the day for Donald Trump. States like Michigan, for example, where 75,000 people in the Detroit area who voted for Obama stayed home in 2016, and Trump only won that state by 10,000 votes. There's one other thing I forgot to mention in terms of the attack, and that was an attack on election systems themselves. And actually, that was what most worried the Obama administration, that the Russians had intruded or managed to get inside elements of election systems in all 50 states in the nation. And there was a terrible concern early on, and I say early on in 2016, that the Russians were gonna try to flip votes. I think at the end of the day, that wasn't the intent. What the intent was, was to create a sense of doubt when Hillary ultimately won, as they expected her to do, that her result was legitimate. That was the original goal. So they never really had to pull that switch because Trump won miraculously. But that was one of the one of the elements of the attack. So it was a pretty sophisticated, multi-pronged cyber attack on American democracy. 
So uh, that's exactly what I wanted to go to next. It, to me, it appears there's three major prongs, and I want to see um, how much they're still added on those and how easier or hard it is. So, for let's start on the prong you're talking about. The most important one is flipping votes. If they, if it's not just Russia, if anyone can flip votes, then we have an unmitigated disaster on our hands in any election. So, Alex, you know. I don't know, I've seen the YouTube videos where it like barely professional hackers can hack into election, you know, election centers and change the votes in like one and a half seconds. So really, Missouri and Montana and Michigan, they all have it all figured out. All of their local dudes are way better than all the top hackers in the world. And we're positive that nobody can flip votes. We're not positive that nobody can flip votes, but I think one of the um, <laughs> one of the defenses is that um, voting tends to be extraordinarily decentralized and, to some extent, um, uh, you know, not very well organized. <laughs> and sometimes that can be a good thing. Uh, obviously, the ultimate solution to this is for everybody to go to a paper ballot system. We're not there yet, um, and at least a paper ballot backup system. Um, but I think the the biggest defense that we have at the moment in terms of flipping votes is this decentralized and ultimately um, uh, diffuse nature of state election systems, and not all of them are the same. That's why. You know, in in the in the attacks in 2016, the Russians were attempting to go on to registration systems, which were easier to mess with, um, and uh, in order to sow doubt. So I'm not saying we're out of the woods, and I'm not saying these things can't be hacked. They can, and we should be deeply concerned about it. Uh, but uh, it's not as simple as one would think. And then when you get into flipping votes, it's like, how do you do it in such a way so that it's imperceptible? Because you don't want to flip so many votes. You don't want Trump, say, to win 100% of the votes in some county in Pennsylvania. You know, you want to flip just enough so he ekes out a victory without anybody noticing. And that's not very easy to do. The way you just said you flip enough votes so that he ekes out a victory, I was like, what does that sound like? Oh, right, 2016. Um, okay, <laughs> anyway, cross our fingers that Missouri local officials have it figured out. Okay, uh, number two uh, is actual dirt on Trump. Like, to what degree do they control Trump? So I'm going to get back to the trolling, etc. That's prong three. And so that's the one that everyone conflates with all of the different prongs. And conflates with all of the issues, but it is an issue by itself. What what did you find? So we didn't find, you know, there was all this salacious detail in the so-called dossier about prostitutes and you know hotel suites and so forth and so on. We didn't find any evidence that indicated that that was true. However, in some ways, the corruption. And the control is actually hiding in plain sight. And, and I would point to the Moscow Trump Tower deal. You know, Trump denied that he had any financial entanglements with Russia. But the fact was that the Russian, that the Moscow Trump Tower deal was something that was on the table right on to the night of the election. So I think, you know, for a lot of the 2016 campaign, he was saying nice things about Putin, not because 
you know, compromise was about to be used against him. But because, um, you know, he wanted to get a, a deal, he thought he might sell a, a penthouse suite to Putin, which would help, you know, increase the price. I, I don't think even Trump didn't think he was going to win the election. So on on the one hand, you have that kind of fundamental corruption. Um, and and I suppose you could say a certain kind of control, but it was the control that comes from somebody desperately wanting to do a deal. I think the other stuff that we don't know about, which may come to light someday, are the degree of financial entanglements that Trump may have had with Russia. That is to say, the extent to which he may have been given loans or um, uh, or, or, or been able to sell real estate at hugely inflated prices, and to the extent that the Russians knew that some of what he was saying uh, were lies, and you know the Trump Tower example would be one, that then gives you a certain leverage over somebody. But it's it's not as simple as thinking, oh, they've got these pictures of him and they're calling him every day on the red phone saying, dude, say exactly what we want, and uh, you know, or we're going to release the pictures. Rather than collusion, Timothy Snyder, who's a great historian at Yale University, has written a book called The Road to Unfreedom and a book on tyranny and how tyrannical systems work, and particularly focused on Russia. No, he says that you can't think of it so much as collusion as a seduction. These people thought very much alike, meaning Trump and Putin. And they had very similarly cynical views about democracy. And what difference did it make if you got help from the Russians? Why should that matter? I don't think Trump cared because these weren't norms that he had any interest in following. And Putin saw that and I think took advantage of it. And all these, you know, sort of forays and, and and initiatives that were put forward like the that weird meeting in New York at, at, at Trump Tower. It's all part of that pattern. Not to mention the fact that, you know, Trump's campaign advisor also was deeply in hock to a Russian oligarch who was very close to Putin. Yeah, I'll give my two cents here real quick. So Look, I think that you're exactly right on Trump receiving Russia's help. Even after the election, a thousand times he said, why wouldn't I take their help? He, he, he views it as you're being a sucker if you don't take the help of a foreign country trying to rig our elections. He's like, well, what would I want him to do, not rig it in my favor? He just doesn't get it. Right, so so that that part I totally agree with, and and I totally agree with you. It's not pictures, and it's a red phone, etc. And uh, and compromise in that movie kind of way that we think about it, James Bondy kind of way that we think about it. But I think the financial dealings that he's had with Russian oligarchs in the past are not as complicated as we think they are. <laughs> I think that they are fairly straightforward. They involve money, as we all know. That's the Almost the only thing that Donald Trump cares about. So they don't have to have pictures over him. They just have to have money over him. And it is almost no question at all that they do. So the question is, who are the oligarchs? How are they connected to Putin? But at this point, is there really any oligarchs left standing in Russia that aren't connected to Putin? So if it wasn't a Putin plot to begin with, by the time that Trump owes a couple of hundred million dollars to Russian oligarchs, doesn't Putin have them? Yeah, I mean, our reporting didn't indicate or wasn't able to ascertain a debt 
like the one you're talking about. We had, we ascertained that from Manafort um, in, in in regard to Deripaska, the the oligarch I'm talking about. But um, when it came to Trump, we we weren't able to ascertain a you know um, a, a bank statement which showed that he owed the Russians X amount of money. But he clearly wanted to do a huge deal, and the deal was one which for which he really needed Putin's assent um, or or you know sort of. Backroom not, and uh, so you're right. It, it was it was really more corrupt and uh, blatant than uh, you know everybody thinks. He was telling us what was going on. He wanted to make money. He wanted to do a Moscow Tower deal, and so he was blowing smoke up Putin's um, posterior. So uh, you know. Uh, that's what he wanted, and then when he made that famous statement throughout the election, you know, hey, uh, you know, Russia, if you're listening, send me Hillary's, um, you know, hidden emails. It was a joke, but it was a joke that had a real mechanism because just a few hours later, the Russian military intelligence was actually um, hard at work trying to get the very emails he asked for. So now you've got a joke. Which has very serious consequences, right? But you know that statement is so multi-layered because it also shows that Trump didn't have the emails and they weren't previously colluding because he's like because he's blatant. He just says, "Hey, Russia, if you have them, send them." And they're like, "Oh, well, lucky for you, we do." And here you go. Well, that's the Hillary emails. They they never got those. If we're talking about the DNC emails or the Podesta emails, there's a lot of evidence that shows that Trump did know about that. Roger Stone was interfacing with Trump and with WikiLeaks simultaneously right around the period this would be August, September, October 2016, and we know that those emails were hacked by Russian military intelligence and provided to WikiLeaks by Russian military intelligence. So that was something that was much closer to coordination. Right, even so, and again, I think Trump is more controlled by Russia than Alex does or anyone else does. But even so, if Stone is trying to get it from WikiLeaks. So it's not like they had it from the Russians already. They had to go to WikiLeaks to try to get them. No, but that was the smart play by the Russians. They don't give it to the Trump campaign. They let WikiLeaks publish unredacted. And but but you want to know when that's going to happen. And the and that's what the triangulation was between Roger Stone, Trump, and WikiLeaks. Alex, last question, because it's so important, and it goes to the title of the movie, Agents of Chaos. So the the way that I see it, basically, they the we talk about this all the time, but this is playing out in real life now with real life consequences, and so you could finally begin to see it with your own eyes. Stories are what run everything in our world, and it's it, it seems like a throwaway line sometimes when people say it, but. Stories are also what help decide whether people are going to trust in elections or not. The American idea, the American principles, and whether we have faith in the system. And it seems like the Russians are trying to interfere in our stories, if you will, and and create chaos so that we can't trust the stories anymore, at least the positive ones. And so going forward, since they've kind of laid out the the blueprint here, what would stop any foreign government, the Chinese, the Indians, the Pakistanis, etc., from using America as basically 
a battlefield for propaganda to mess with our belief and faith in the system. Well, you, you come to maybe the most important point, which is the biggest damage that Trump has done in connection sometimes with the media is to is to offer an assault on truth. And there can't be a rule of law if there is no truth. So propaganda and the incursions by other societies in terms of upsetting and messing with our elections will continue to happen so long as we allow ourselves to live in a world in truth in which truth doesn't matter. Ultimately, the the big battle is between truth and propaganda. Yeah, so we didn't mention Fox News at all up until the end here. But having a giant so-called news network inside the country that propagates things that are not true on a regular basis makes the job of any foreign government much, much easier when they try to erode our belief in just two plus two equal in four. Facts. Yes. Um, all right, Alex Gibney, uh, Agents of Chaos comes out on HBO on September 23rd. Thank you so much for joining us, really appreciate it. Thanks, Cenk, always a pleasure.